it's not that I don't have opinions on it. It's just that I, I'm not as zealous about it, I guess. You know how I feel. It's like, I rate Metal Gears on how miserable I am when playing them. So yeah, I, I'm not like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. I do think it's flawed, and I figured we could talk about that today. I mean, are we going to do this? Are we, are we going to talk about Metal Gear Solid 4? <sighs> the elephant in the room, if you will. Look, if you want me to talk about Metal Gear Solid 4, I can do it. But Look, you know, never mind. Never mind. Oh, I'm just going to stop myself. No, I'm going to stop myself now before I go on a rant. Uh, you want to talk about nano machines and no not really i mean it's just gonna start a fight it's it's not gonna start a fight hey i'm fingers hey everyone this is days ahead and i'm nitroid you're listening to the kojima frequency I mean that's the thing. I mean you can definitely have your opinion about it, you know. But it's, uh, you know, for me, I, I I enjoyed it, so I'm in that side of it. And uh, you you've got your gripes with it, and so it's... oh, I've got I've got my gripes <laughs> with it. it but it, but that's the thing. Like that's not gonna make my enjoyment of it go away. And that's like you know, that's the whole thing about opinions. You can just have it and just keep your own. So well, it's interesting. The thing is, is it, it's in a unique position where some people feel like by acknowledging it you know in a positive manner or validating it then you're invalidating other aspects of the series yeah um and you know it's i've tried to look at it both from the perspective from a like a very in, internal perspective like just the game itself its execution um and you know how it it fits how it sort of affects the greater universe uh, and I guess I'll start with my thesis, but I won't get too, too into it. I figure we could talk about it over time. But my thesis is that, uh, Metal Gear Solid 4 reminds me a lot, actually, of the last season of Game of Thrones. And that's not to say that it's <laughs> also, you know, well, okay, you gotta, you gotta, yeah, you gotta, I mean, you gotta yeah. hit me here. Cause I'm, I'm trying to be, right, very, you got me hooked. <laughs> I'm very nuanced here, but yeah. there's a couple reasons of that. And I, I want to kind of get into them today. Um, but first and foremost, I want to say that I'm not trying to suggest that they're of the same quality. I think Metal Gear Solid 4 overall is much better, you know, despite its flaws, much better executed than Game of Thrones season eight. However, um, you know, I found that they both suffer this issue where they both have to wrap up a a lot of um, plots and items in a very short time, a time that, you know, their creators, their directors really don't want to have. Um, and it seems like they decided to compensate for some of that with, um, with like fan service, for example. So, you know, while, while how Game of Thrones, you know, they, it didn't really fulfill Gosh, I'm probably not explaining this the best way. I was I've been thinking about this in the shower like every day. <laughs> and now I'm here and I'm a little drunk and I'm like, "Oh, 
where am I going with No, this? this is a conversation you want to be drunk for. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. So let me let me let me back up. Let me back up. Let me back up. So as I was kind of taking this all like this overnight dissertation about this game, it I hearkened back to Game of Thrones season eight. Not in a sense that, you know, it was a disappointing finale to the series. Not in a sense that it was even like low quality, because I think that again. 4 was far better executed than Game of Thrones Season 8. However, you know, I, I noticed some similarities, like, contextually. Um, you know, they both were trying... They both had to serve this purpose where, one, they had to resolve several plots, um, several things that, you know, the writer, I guess, seemed like they didn't expect to have to wrap up or or didn't anticipate to wrap up. And... You know, it it gets into a situation where not only that they have to wrap up the plots, but on top of that, the creator, the director, uh, and and Game of Thrones' case, it's it's D and D or whatever those guys' names are, um, and Metal Gear, it's you know Kojima who doesn't want to be part of this project. Um, although I'd argue that his intentions are are, are certainly more pure than um, D and D's, but I'm not going to ramble too, too much about that. The point is they both tried to, you know, fulfill wrapping up these, these massive amount of plot points that they need to wrap up in a short amount of time. Um, they're unable to do so. Um, and in lieu of not being able to do so, it seems like there's a lot of quality. There's a lot of fan service and mischaracterization that, you know, defines the flaws of of those respective pieces of media. Um, I hope I'm making sense, and I hope, like, you know, somebody doesn't come for my ass for trying <laughs> to make this comparison. No, I get exactly what you're saying. They're both uh, coming from a place of there are gaps that we are ill-prepared or ill-motivated to fill that we are now forced to fill. Right. I think, you know what, ill-motivated is a much better word because, you know, I again, I don't want to suggest that Kojima was as cynical or as, you know, I, I know a lot of people say that um, the showrunners for Game of Thrones, they, you know, they just wanted to go to Star Wars or something like that. Like, I don't I don't want to suggest that he is he has just as bad of intentions or, or is, doesn't care as much. Um, but I, I, I see the parallels, I guess. I have to I, I've, I've had a week to prep for this and I'm still not ready. I'm telling you, I will start with this and the people who know me. Oh, wait, wait, wait one uh, more thing. One more thing. One more thing. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Back to the comparison. Aria is riding. OK, continue. <laughs> The people who know me, uh, and I count both of you uh, among them, know that when I go in on Metal Gear Solid 4, I'm kind of half serious. It is not a game I like very much, but a lot of that is exaggeration because it's it's funny to to get into that in that way. You know, It, it, it is a bit of a bit, uh, I will admit. That's not to say I like it. I do not. Would you say it's a meme? A, a little bit. A Metal Gear uh, I, I think, I mean, I definitely have been sort of like a a loud detractor of that game in the past. And then I sort of softened on it over time. 
And then that sort of became like Nitroid hates MGS4 sort of became a meme. And then I, I just sort of leaned into it. But uh, I'm going to I'm going to try to be honest and. You know what? No, I'm going to get angry. <laughs> Here's what's <laughs> no, I'm going to I'm going to get mad about this. Give the people what they want. Right. Yeah. I don't know what I can say about this game that has not been said by either Tim Rogers or Super Bunny Hop or Steak Bentley or even that Metal Gear Solid 4 in a nutshell video. I mean, like this game has been extensively covered in both its pros and its cons. But to be fair, nobody's watching, you know, the the Tim Scott frequency. The what? They're watch- oh, that was a joke. Sorry, they're watching you. They want to hear you. They want to hear you say it, even if it's if it's redundant. The other thing that I just want to say first is that when I am criticizing this game, it's not intended as disrespect for the people who put work into it, because I understand how much how how insane of an amount of work went into making something like that game. It's in- it's incredibly complex. Um, And there are a lot of people who worked on it that were very passionate about it and tried to make the best thing they could. Uh, The thing about art in any medium is that it's not always going to hit with everybody the same way, and it didn't hit with me. And there are things that I like about the game. You know, there are aspects of the art direction, the user interface, and the mechanics that I really like. I think it has a lot of creative ideas, although they're not really explored to their fullest extent. And I realize that right now I'm kind of dancing around the entire topic of why I don't like it. <laughs> um, so I'm, try- I'm trying to find the right approach angle because I don't want to just go in uh, blunderbuss here. So let's actually a point you brought up uh, about how you compared it with Game of Thrones in terms of fan service and mischaracterization, right? Right. One way I would say that Metal Gear Solid 4 differs in that regard is that you could make an argument that the fan service and the mischaracterization was kind of the point. Yeah, that's true. It's a very self-aware game, but I think it's to a fault. And maybe that's the crux of why I don't like it. Because it's not imparting a lesson. It's not trying to leave you with any sort of important moral it's just saying, hey, uh, we're really tired of making Metal Gear. Please stop asking for this. <laughs> you know, now that you've said that, oh, God, now I'm shifting my metaphor from Game of Thrones season eight to Last Jedi. And it's like, oh, God, now I'm going to piss even more people off because <laughs> it's like I feel like Last Jedi does the same thing where it's like, like you said, like it, it, it's it's such it's it's reliant on such a such a cynical meta narrative, um, that diminishes the lessons of its previous titles. So you know, naturally, people who were a big fan of those previous titles are going to be upset that you know what they dedicated themselves to or what they really enjoyed was as invalidated by the same canon that they got it from. And cynicism is uh, an interesting thing to consider in this context because Metal Gear Solid 4 both is and isn't cynical. Um, I have no doubt that Kojima wanted to make a finale that would satisfy fans, but at the same time, there's this passive aggression in it that... 
you know, it's 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 difficult to talk about this because a lot of this does come down to personal interpretation, personal feelings, what you got out of it when you play it. And a lot of people play Metal Gear Solid 4. And to them, it's just this globe trotting adventure where everything they wanted to happen happens. But for me, as somebody who who is laser focused in many ways on what Metal Gear Solid 2 tried to do, which is where Kojima wanted to stop telling his story and pass it off to other developers to continue it in a different direction. It's extremely antithetical to what he said then. You know, I've made the joke before that Metal Gear Solid 4 comes in and is like, hey, that's a nice MGS2 you got there. It'd be a shame if something happened to it. But that's but that's kind of what it is. I mean, it is the antithesis of Metal Gear Solid 2. Metal Gear Solid 2 ends on the lesson that uh, what happens isn't as important as what you take away from it, right? You've got to figure out what of your experiences has value, extract that, and pass it on to the next generation. That's that's it. That's it in the nutshell, right? Figure out what's important, pass it on. That's If you need MGS2 summed up in a nutshell, there you go. MGS4 comes in and says, hey, MGS2 ended on an ambiguous note, but instead of leaving it there, we're going to answer every single question in excruciating detail. We're going to give you exactly what you asked for, people who wanted to know what the answers were. You want to know who the Patriots are? You got it. You wanted to know how Vamp was able to do all those crazy things? Here you go. And it just ruined the mystery of that game for me. Everything I thought I wanted after MGS2. And and like these are lessons that I didn't really realize until after I had MGS4 to contrast it with. Uh everything I thought I wanted out of MGS4 when I got it made me go, "Oh, I was I actually didn't want that." So, I mean, in a lot of ways I was the um the target of that game. So, maybe I took it a little personally, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, there's definitely all these there's a different like perspective going into it cuz for me, like I I didn't know about any of the the development stuff about the the death threats about him not really wanting to be, you know, making it Metal Gears anymore. And I I didn't even get into like the Metal Gear community like the online stuff until way later like in like the the build up to the Phantom Pain was like when I was really active. So, yeah, I, I don't know. For me, it was just this big ass story conclusion where I was like, fuck, yeah, that's what happened. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah. And it was just this like, I don't know. For me, it was this big, like you said, finale. And it did seem fan servicey. I mean, you've got, you know, the Metal Gear Rex versus Ray fight. You know, it's just like, holy shit, this is happening. You've got this big epic fight between Liquid Ocelot and, and Old Snake. I, I don't know. For, for me, I was just like, awesome. Great. Good job. So I, I didn't really pick up on all that stuff, but, but hearing all this, these other perspectives and knowing the different things going in now, it's like, it does definitely give me a different perspective on it. I can see where you're coming from at least, but I still had a good time with it and it'll always be a, a good game, a good movie, uh, a good experience. <laughs> that's like, for me, that's like, I just, that's kind of what I wanted. I'm here for the exposition. I'm here for the, the cool, the cool fights and you know i enjoyed twin snakes and you know like for that purpose it was good entertainment 
Um, See, and I hate Twin Snakes too. So, and that's the thing. Like, I think for like the, this is just like a proto fans versus meta fans thing, where it's just like, yeah. yeah, that we're just into we're here for different things, and some of us are just here for a good time, and others like to dissect it a little more, and you know. Yeah, I, I I said it on Twitter, but I'll say it here again. Uh, if you don't think the Raiden versus Gecko and Vamp fight was dope, you can get the fuck out of my face. So you know. <laughs> well, then I better get off this podcast right now because I thought that was extremely dumb. It's like uh, it, and that's like when Arya like spoilers, Arya kick kick stabbed the shit out of the Night King. It was uh, it was like kind of satisfying, but at the same time, I can see why folks got upset by it. I don't know. That was just some like the best fight choreography I had seen in a video game. And it was just a really creative fight. Like that's, oh, like, I yeah. like movies like The Raid and Ong Bak where it's just like, whoa, I haven't seen somebody kick somebody's ass in that way before. So like for him to be doing goddamn breakdancing with a sword in his foot, it's just like, all right, this is kind of cool. Like, you know, in that, in that anime kind of way where you're just like, holy shit. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, but it's not Metal Gear. At least it wasn't up to MGS3. But it, it does work in sort of a, a meta narrative form in a sense that you know the honorable fist fights that people used to have are now being replaced by these like white blood genetic fights war has changed yeah i mean we see the advancements on the battlefield happening right now with fucking uh boston dynamics and the french army using that goddamn dog robot for combat Okay, but don't talk to me about themes in depth when when Raiden is like nunchucking several geckos with his feet while doing a cartwheel. He's, I he's mean, got a power suit on. Like you see his shoulders like blow uh, the fuck out. Like there's like Solidus in Metal Gear Solid 2. Like he had an enhanced strength. I never said that it was executed perfectly, but I totally get where they're coming from. Oh no, me neither. Yeah. I thought it was a badass fight. That's all I'll say. Okay. <laughs> I will say that I can suspend my disbelief to a point in Metal Gear when it comes to Raiden, like, you know, spinning Gecko around and throwing them all over the place. But then, like, fast forward to rising. a couple chapters. <laughs> no, no, not even rising. Oh, like, okay. like, rising, it's, it, tone, tone matters. Tone matters. Yeah. But fast forward just a couple chapters to, like, Raiden stopping Haven by stabbing his foot in the ground <laughs> into the same ground that Haven is crushing. I'm here for it. And uh, <laughs> I, and like if I if I hadn't already given up on the game at that point, <laughs> I would have there. It. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, it took me a few playthroughs to kind of get really grasp what the fuck was going on there like physically <laughs> oh my god it's like did he really just that rising fight when he fucking picks up metal gear excelsis and just fucking throws it see that's fine to me though it's like oh okay <laughs> like like that game is is in is like from beginning to end just a goofy mess like that's what it's going for it's very grindhouse uh in a lot of ways but like mgs4 is is just hopping from from tone to tone you know yeah the the first act itself does have a a much different tone than yeah i mean yeah the, each each act like yeah it does have a different tone for sure i mean you got the nostalgic fourth act you've got the piece of shit third act um piece of shit yeah we, i think we can all yeah, agree I think, that, yeah like, let's all agree yeah act three i'm gonna be that guy because act three doesn't bother me that much you're so contrarian. <laughs> I, I'm i not trying to be, though. 
But I wanted to, to go back to something like we'll, we'll we'll get to act three. OK, yeah. But I don't even think it's a proto fans versus meta fans thing. And I'll explain what I mean. There are always multiple levels to a to a Metal Gear story. There's the baseline plot. Um, you could say that the themes that the plot is trying to talk about are on another level. And then there's the the meta narrative above that that sort of play with the theme as well as what might be going on in Kojima's life at the time, his personal feelings, right? Like this is an outlet for him. He always, he always puts his personal experiences, his life into these games, right? Yeah. So let's, let's just strip out the me- the meta narrative. Okay. Like don't even consider the fact that there is a, um, there is this level of Kojima being tired with metal gear. Like, like you can, you can argue like, everybody's made the point of, you know, is Metal Gear Solid 4 bad on purpose? Like, like that, I've heard that a million times and it's an oversimplification of things, although I kind of, I, I get it, right? Um, but let's just strip that layer out and talk specifically about the game and the themes, okay? Let's, let's ground it for a minute. So, if we're talking strictly about storytelling, strictly about character development, it's still bad. Because only the meta narrative would justify the mischaracterizations of every single character in that game. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, are you saying they subverted expectations? In it, well, it, it's um, James Howell wrote an article called "Monstrous Births" that went into how one of Metal Gear Solid 4's. Oh God, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess this up. Uh, so if James, if you're listening, I apologize if I completely butcher uh, the point you were trying to make. Um, and I, I recommend you look this article up if you can. I'll, you know, we'll include a link to it in the description. But Metal Gear Solid 4, he argues, uh, deals very heavily with proxies, not just in the story, but in but in narrative structure. Characters are in place of characters function as analogs for previous characters in the franchise. So so think think about it like this. If you're trying to show Metal Gear going through the motions, you know, it's just repeating the same patterns over and over again, which is something Big Boss touches on quite literally at the end. All they can do is repeat the same pattern over and over again. Then to represent that, you have these characters who are stand-ins for other characters. Raiden is a stand-in for the cyborg ninja type character, right? Sure. Uh... Old Snake is a stand-in for Big Boss more than he is himself in a lot of ways. You know, he's cleaning up Big Boss's mess in this game in a lot of ways, just as much as he's cleaning up his own. Ocelot is a proxy for Liquid. And and he makes more examples to, to make it a clearer case. But but that's the idea, is like these these characters are are not themselves on paper because they're standing in for previous characters to demonstrate that this game has been going through the motions for far too long. And it's only near the end that they throw away these old identities and become themselves again. Mm-hmm. Right? Under certain conditions, someone can be made to play a specific role. Act like someone else. Cats do love to play as snakes. Now, this idea, on paper, and in the context of a meta narrative, you can argue it works. But if we strip that layer out and we're just talking like narratives, like just telling a good story, then it doesn't make any sense. Because why would Raiden act this way? Unless there was some larger 
meta purpose for it? Why would Solid Snake act this way unless there was some larger meta purpose for it? Like, it doesn't work. You know, Solid Snake is not this cynical guy that's completely given up on life. When we got, when, you know, when we got to the end of Metal Gear Solid 2, he's very optimistic about the future. He's ready to keep trying. Like, that's his whole character. That's the end of his arc. I was going to say one one interesting thing that a lot of, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, folks like you bring up is that, um, you know, philanthropy, their motto you know, they're all about, you know, to to save the world, to protect the world from devastation. No, um, they're all about, you know, to, removing the influence of nuclear weapons from the world. To let the world be, right. To let the world be. So, and, you know, especially with consideration to how the world turns out, you know, post, post Metal Gear Solid 2, it's, it's very, um, it really does feel like the antithesis of of what you see Snake as in, in 2. Raiden as well, because it's like, you look at Raiden at the end of the game, and he's like, wow, this whole time I've just been chasing this ideal of Solid Snake. I've been trying to be someone who I'm not. I should really be myself. And Solid, Snake, Solid Snake's like, yeah, there you go. And then Raiden's like, I'll be Gray Fox instead. Like, no, no, that's not the lesson. That's That's not the lesson. But that's where we are in Metal Gear Solid 4. We, you know, all of this character development, these arcs that we've gone through, are wiped clean for the sake of making a point about Metal Gear needing to end. And I don't like that. If you want to know why I don't like Metal Gear Solid 4, it's because I don't think that lesson was worth it. If you, if you, if you need me to sum it up. Were there, like, ways that the story could have gone that would have, like, fit your your like desires on it on it going a certain way if you would have asked me before i played metal gear solid 4 i probably would have said yes but this is one of those hindsight is 2020 sort of things and i really think mgs2 was a good place to end it uh mgs3 didn't really step on the toes of mgs2 that much so like that's fine you can end it there and and mgs3 is another issue right because I I enjoy that game. I don't think it was necessary, but it's it's let's say it's inoffensive in the in this larger sense of meta narratives, right? When you get to the end of MGS3, you see the path that Big Boss is on. You can fill in the blanks. Yeah. To figure out how he goes from the end of that <laughs> game to the quote-unquote villain of the later uh, of the games later on in the timeline, right? You can you can fill that in. If you've got a working brain, that's not a hard thing to figure out, yeah. right? Right. And and then we just keep filling in these missing links. And just, like, no, you don't need that. Sometimes the mystery is what's more interesting. And that's not a lesson I really learned until after MGS4. Yeah, I know we've compared it to like the, the whole like Metachlorians thing in Star Wars, like in the prequels. Yes, yes. Metachlorians, nanomachines, same thing. Yeah. But I liked pod racing, so it's <laughs> pod racing was fun. Yeah, that's... I like the game a lot. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I think you know, there, there's just it, it's cool that that there is that whole like literary approach to it too, where like you're really diving into the themes. But I think there are just a lot of people that are just gonna play it as a video game and see it on that surface level and be like, "What do you mean? I fucking enjoyed it. What do you What do you mean? There's there's things to pick apart about this game." So yeah. And if you're not following the development and the interviews and like 
hardcore Kojima fans know that like the entire marketing cycle for these games, the the promo circuit, all of this stuff is part of the story. Yeah, that's that's and this is something that that I blame on MGS2 entirely. Like MGS2 established this trend and it's completely oh, responsible I mean, for the attitude of like never be game over and all these guys like that's MGS2's fault. We were talking about that today where there was like theories that 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 new like horror first person shooter abandoned I think it was called was like the new right. Silent Hill. It's like people are chasing that dragon of the next ruse. Exactly. Uh, when in 2021, <laughs> you know, that's really hard to do. That was like the most awkward thing. I hated it. It's well, what annoys me is it's people are either dumb or exploitative when it comes to reporting this stuff, because it took 30 seconds to figure out that the studio that made that has been active, not existent, active since 2015. These guys have been around. These are real people. The guy who uh, made the announcement on the PlayStation blog, he's got a freaking LinkedIn. OK, so unless you are like some you know, deep state level Kojima Ruse shit. You're, th- this is not part of that. Get a grip, people. <laughs> it's all so tiresome. And that's the thing with MGS4. I didn't really follow the development of it. I kind of saw a couple trailers, read a couple blurbs in like GamePro magazine or whatever. It's like, oh, here's some of the stuff you can do. It's got Octo Camo and there's going to be these big robots and snakes old. And I just, for me, this was like a big conclusion, and so I didn't want anything spoiled, so I kind of like swerved the development of MGS4, to be honest. It goes into what we've talked about a hundred times. People romanticize game development, especially when it comes to Kojima, because he plays into that. Yeah. You know, he is he is brilliant at marketing because he knows how to suck people in. And unfortunately, it's, you know, people are are jumping at shadows now. Like cats. I mean, after the Phantom Pain, you really can't you can't blame people after yeah. <laughs> fucking Moby Dick Studios and all of that shit. Okay, but. right. I'll give you another angle then. He's not going to do the same thing twice. He's too good for that. Yeah, I mean, even like you know, even though they are both considered sort of like a a bunch of ruses, you know, they they were also ex- there was there was definitely a difference in execution of said ruses. Um, but I guess most people just kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? They just kind of devolve them or, or just kind of blanket them in one big term of like bruise. I don't know. Yeah. Actually, I have to take back what I just said because he did do it twice. He did it with PT and, and MGSV. So. Yeah. Like with the project ogre thing, like everybody like immediately knew they're like, well, that's a metal gear game. <laughs> like The octagons, man. It, it had the that signature. T- yeah. <laughs> right. I will tell you one thing I really do like about metal gear solid four. uh, metal gear online. Right. Love the hell out of that. You know, I was going to say, we solicited this opinion from a few folks and, and a lot of them were just like, yeah, well, you know, I really don't give a shit about the other game, but Metal Gear Online's pretty sweet. You want to know something funny about that? Well, you can get an original release copy of Metal Gear Solid 4 for like, you know, five bucks, right? At least in in the United States, you can. I can't speak for most other places. I know it's cheap here. I know it's cheap in Japan. I know it's pretty cheap in the UK if you want those early copies. And those are the copies that have MGO included. They released Metal Gear Online standalone. It was only in Japan, 
but you could buy a Metal Gear Online only disc, right? And it's kind of a collector's item now. It was cheap when it came out. Now, good luck getting it for under 100 bucks. So it's just kind of funny to me that when you have those two together and you take Metal Gear Solid 4 out, it goes up in value. <laughs> just saying. Yeah. I mean, I thought there was a lot of good gameplay mechanics that happened in the game that, like, especially in the first act, like, I, I kind of wish there was more of that where you had, you know, the two teams kind of fighting against each other. And that just, that, like, that first time I played through that was like, whoa, like, I, I didn't have that really spoiled for me. I will, okay. To go back to something you asked me uh, a few minutes ago, uh, could I imagine a sequel to Metal Gear Solid 2 that could work? And while I can't completely say yes, I will say that part of the reason that Metal Gear Solid 4 disappointed me so much was because of the uh, lost potential from what they originally showed. If you've ever seen that very first trailer for the game, it's, it's got a very different tone from what we got. It's It's gritty. It's uh, got this oppressive atmosphere. It's very desperate. Even the intro to the final game doesn't come close to the atmosphere that this first trailer had. It had a, a somewhat different aesthetic to it visually. It didn't look like other Metal Gear games. You could almost think of it as almost a proto-Ground Zeroes in a lot of ways. And so following that, you had all of these promises of things like... Uh, everybody's fairly familiar with the... A versus B versus C versus D mechanic. And if you're unfamiliar with that, the original pitch for the game had this idea where you would have this battlefield with these different sides all engaging with one another. So it wasn't just, you know, the the militia versus the PMCs. It was all different sides fighting each other and snake in the middle in this war zone. I remember right? the motto being like, no place to hide, no place right. to hide Deo. Oh, hey. <laughs> and, and that was the promise of like, this was going to be a war and you were going to be sneaking through it, trying to survive. And you could side with any of these and shift the balance from one side to another, to another, to another. And then it became two sides. It became the PMCs versus the militia. And then it just sort of became unilateral, where you can really only side with the militia or not side with the militia, right? You 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 can't really side with the PMCs. It's just, are you gonna make a couple friends or not? Yeah. Okay, well, well, this isn't really that important, so just keep going. You can you don't even have to pay attention to this. So part of that, uh, I'd say a big part of that was due to the fact that they didn't uh quite know what the potential of the PlayStation 3 was going to be at the time, so they sort of overshot with their projections. Like, he's he's talked about this before, how they had all these ideas and things that they wanted to do, and they... I Someone's going to correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I think they even made that first trailer before they had the development kit for the PS3. Oh, wow. I could be wrong about that. It was either, like, not final or something like that, so if, if I'm wrong about that, please correct me, but there were all of these plans that they had that they just ended up not being able to do in part because the hardware wasn't up to snuff and in part because of the complexity of writing for the PS3, which is quite famously very difficult to code for. So, and I mean, that's, that's not unprecedented. Like, yeah. Right. So you're saying Metal Gear Solid 4 is an unfinished game. <laughs> More unfinished than MGSV. Right. I mean, there were, we talked about it before, but there were whole sections of that game that were cut out. The big ones. And, and part of it would have saved Act 3. That Big Mama escort mission. Oh, well. 
Yeah, maybe not. Maybe actually that wouldn't. Have. Let me let me recant that. Everybody loves that. <laughs> I hate escort yeah. missions, but it would have been cool to be stalked by Gecko in the sewer, right? Ugh. And to like be going up and down through the manholes and like I think that would have been a little interesting at least. I just um, imagine a moo like in a sewer echo like. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> Give me like RE2 al alligator and RE2 vibes. Oh shit. Oh yeah. The gecko. The gecko are like one of the things that I really love conceptually about MGS4, but they just didn't utilize them well. That first act, you are exactly right. I really do like that first act. Um when they're, you know, experimenting with these things and that very first segment where the gecko are everywhere and the militia are fighting them and you're just trying to work your way through. Yeah. And like, if you go to the left, you might get surprised by a gecko. If you go to the right, another gecko will be there. Like, it's like they're they're hunting you a little more actively, right? Yeah. Like, if you hide in the top level of a building, it'll start searching and things like that. When when the gecko were first described, it sounded like they were going to be the Metal Gear equivalent of like the Velociraptors from Jurassic Park, like stalking you through the game actively. Mm -hmm. But it turns out they're in like what three places, and that's it. They're they're almost nowhere. The most threatening they were for me, at least, was like at the beginning of Chapter Five, and that was like what like two rooms. Yeah, I loved when uh it dropped through the ceiling in Act Four when you're uh down near Hal's lab in the nuclear warhead storage building. Mm -hmm. When it drops through the ceiling at you, just out of nowhere, or when it, you know, pops up out of the snow when you think it's deactivated, like that kind of stuff, I wish there was way more of that. Like you've got this really cool design for an enemy. It's really interesting conceptually. And then it's, it's hardly used. Yeah, I could I definitely could have taken a, a few more uh, encounters with them. And a few less encounters with the fucking dwarf geckos. Oh, I hate those things. Yeah. That's one thing I hate. <laughs> I think Shadow Moses would have been a lot more interesting with more real enemies. Yeah. But, but I get why they didn't put them in there. Yeah. But again, that gets into the whole, you know, they're doing things for meta-narrative purposes rather than for, you know necessarily gameplay or, or narrative purposes you know the the whole idea of going back to shadow moses is hey this is the past it's run down you can't go home again right like that's the that's the takeaway yeah i feel like that was one of the few things that wasn't completely adulterated by the whole meta narrative you're right in that it fits conceptually but at the same time i i didn't feel like it was necessarily a detriment to you know the foundation of the characters like even even ocelot like doing that runaway where he's like <laughs> i liked that i i did like that <laughs> yeah like that was every all everything about that i felt like was was definitely i definitely got the mes message across without having the same effect as um you know some of the other examples that you provided so i'm gonna contradict myself a little but i can tell you exactly when i was disillusioned with the game so I'm playing through this game and I am trying to wrap my head around it. And as a sequel to Metal Gear Solid 2, I'm waiting for that sort of similar moment near the end where, like in MGS2, you go into Arsenal Gear and the game sort of pulls the veil back and you start to see what it's really about, right? 
that moment where it re- it like reveals itself to you. It starts to tell you the truth a little bit more. You know, up until now, it's all been pretense. And then now we're getting into the meat of what's what this is actually all about. And now Big Boss is alive and you're like, what the fuck? It wasn't even that. It wasn't even that. <laughs> it was playing through it and you're in Shadow Moses and emotions are high. And like your first time through the game, you're not really thinking too hard about it. You're just sort of experiencing it, right? You're just trying to get through it. And so you're coming, I'm, I'm like coming off of the the high of that Rex Ray fight. And I'm like, oh my God, this is insane. Like what's going on here? I don't, like I can't even wrap my head around what I'm experiencing right now. And, um, you know, adrenaline's high, Raiden is possibly dead, Ocelot's laughing at you. This, And then all, all of this culminates in Outer Haven coming up out of the ocean and you see Mount Snakemore right (laughs) on the top of that thing. And that is the moment that I went, all right, that is insane. This is bonkers. This is the Arsenal gear moment. You've got it. You've got a, you've got an analog for Arsenal gear coming up out of the ocean. It's got snakes on the, like, this is the insane turn. Like, this is it. This is the thing that's going to start the end of the game. And now it's going to start to make sense. And we're going to see like what this has all been building up to, like what the point of this was. And nothing. It just sort of putters out. You know, they stop the bad guy. Uh, Snake gets a hug. The end. It does feel a bit like I feel like Metal Gear has always been fantastic at its pacing. And. You're right in that it felt a little like I, I was a little thrown off at times, if that makes sense, where the game gives you this energy after this one event and you're pumped up and you're you're ready to kind of take things on and then it, it sort of shifts you in another tone in another place um and you're just like what <laughs> it was completely deflating it's like beating metal gear solid 2 um and then not going to arsenal gear just stopping the terrorists and leaving and you're like oh well we did it yay go us <laughs> like that's how i that's what i felt like beating that game I didn't learn anything. And I guess in the end, ultimately, I did learn something from it. So maybe the game did succeed in teaching me the value of Metal Gear Solid 2 by stomping (laughs) it into the ground. So yeah, I guess MGS2 won in the end. Damn. (laughs) I'm going to be depressed for a while now. Oh, don't be depressed. Yeah, I'll just play Metal Gear Online. I'll feel better. Which, by the way... I'm still mad at them changing everything, but thank you for convincing me to come back. I know. It's like a Hallmark Christmas movie up in here. I feel I feel like, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was very wholesome and heartwarming to have you there, dude, even though it. Well, you know, before we get into that, because I don't want to bring this back to a, a downturn, you know, how did you feel overall? Like, what was what was your experience with Metal Gear Online 2 coming back to it? You mean? Yeah, like you just kind of break it down for people. I don't know. All right. Well, if you don't know, the reason I stopped playing Metal Gear Online 2, which also, if you don't know, you can still play because there are fan run servers available. It takes all of 10 minutes to get up and running on your PlayStation. You don't need to mod your PlayStation. And the only reason why it took me a little more time than that is because I was doing my taxes at the time at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, and as long as you've got a copy of either Metal Gear Online or a launch copy of Metal Gear Solid 4, which you can get, like I said, pretty cheap these days, uh, you're good to go. 
And uh, I left the game because the team managing the fan servers started to make changes to the core game. They started to do what they felt were improvements, which constituted uh, removing visual effects from certain maps to try to increase the frame rate or uh, adding gear to the game that wasn't originally there. Not not I, I shouldn't say adding gear. Rather, they would replace existing gear with their own gear. So like a hat that might have been camo at one point or had a, a Metal Gear related logo on it or something like that is now a Yankees ball cap. <laughs> right. Like things like that. Um, and while I don't necessarily have a problem with them doing that kind of thing, you know, it's their server. They put in the work. They can do that kind of thing. Uh, I do think it spits in the face of the original stated intention of why they did this, which was to preserve Metal Gear Online and keep it up and running after the servers had been shut down. So when you start making changes to the game, you're no longer preserving it. You're making something else. And I didn't want to I couldn't support that in good conscience at the time. I've kind of recanted on that and loosened up a little, pulled the stick out of my ass. And Days made a very good argument, more or less browbeating me into coming back to MGO by reminding me how much fun it was. And, As I'm good at. And you were right. And playing that game with a group of people who all get along and who aren't trying to be super competitive is a blast because that game it's just one of those games where if you're playing with the competitive crowd, the usual guys, it's not that much fun because everybody is just using the, you know, the pro gamer tactics to to make your life miserable, more or less. Right. But if you're playing with friends where it's just about having a good time, that is one of the best experiences. It is just so much fun. And it was, and we had a great time with it. And I'm sure some of the folks saw the tweets about it and the screenshots. So that's been fun. Yeah, thanks. Thank you again for joining. And, you know, hopefully we can get Fingers' PS3 back up and running so you can join us as well. Yeah, what's the uh, status on that? Uh, still broke. I actually hooked it up the other day <laughs> just to, like, see. I, like, poked it. I was like, are you working yet? No. Nope. <laughs> still in a boot loop. It's like that, it's like that meme, do something. <laughs> well, I had it, like, unplugged. So, like, I, I figured, like, maybe the... The battery would like reset after being unplugged for a while or something. I don't know. And it's like a CMOS battery thing, right? Probably. Yeah. You think you could replace it? I ain't opening that bitch up. <laughs> <laughs> I get a little queasy about, you know, replacing CMOS batteries in like computer motherboards, let alone yeah. like All something right. proprietary. If I break something while trying to do it, then it's like definitely not under warranty and I can't send it in. So. Oh shit, is it actually under warranty? It's not under warranty, but, like, they can still fix it. But if it's broken, then they can't. Mm. I mean, unless it's soldered in, you could probably just pop it out. It's just so much getting down to it. It's like you got to yeah. read, like, four things to get to it. I've taken apart so many systems now that it, like, doesn't even phase me. Like, if I had a problem with the PS5, I'd be like, all right, let's crack this bitch open. <laughs> That's ballsy, man. Yeah, that... First time you do it, like taking apart anything it's scary as hell like i already had to take apart a i always feel like i'm gonna break something or it's gonna snap in half or like a pin's gonna break or bend it's just like i, I think i've had stuff like that happen in the past and i'm just like <laughs> nope not doing it anymore the worst thing in the world is when you um when you're making building a pc and you have to pull back for the the cpu like pull back that little lever thing 
and pull it back in. And it's like, it doesn't feel like it's supposed to go that way, but it, apparently it does. No, I've already had to take apart a DualSense controller, and that was uh, actually not as bad as I thought it was going to be. My kid spilled orange soda on it. Amazingly, it still works. Who loves orange soda? Apparently my son. Not a PlayStation 5. <laughs> not a PlayStation 5. So, is there any more shit that you want to talk on Metal Gear Solid 4? Um, the hmm. the PlayStation 3 system seller. If we're going to mm. <laughs> It did do numbers by the way. I, I, this Don't is you this either. is actually my point is like if you try to compare it or ba- base your metrics off of sales, you sound no better than those pop stands on Twitter who are like, "Well, Rihanna sold fucking yeah. one million records and oh well Nicki Minaj it definitely was the reason I bought a PlayStation 3 though and I think there's a lot of people that will probably say that too and that's not it just was to say mine too. yeah I mean that's like that was like we're like okay I gotta play that so gonna buy a PS3 Apache Smash on Twitter had a funny tweet in response to the whole well it did numbers argument by yeah, pointing out that big the Big Bang, Bang Theory, theory <laughs> the final season was watched by by 17.3 million people worldwide. Just because it's popular and sells a bunch of copies doesn't mean it doesn't suck. Uh, to paraphrase a friend of mine, uh, you have to buy something first in order to know if it's bad or not, generally speaking. I suppose I can lay off a Metal Gear Solid 4 for now. I've said my piece. You got your energy out. I'm glad you did. Sure, I'll think of something after the conversation's over. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll talk about it some more in another episode. I'm sure there'll be something else that brings us back to it. I'll tell you something else that annoys me. People spreading rumors. Yeah, there's been a lot of that lately. About Kojima and Microsoft and remakes. It's been a lot. Dude, I am so, <laughs> between that and the Sony article, I am like so sick of the word remake and remaster. And all you... I I could I saw like five people who complained about that Sony article and the the supposed PS5 Last of Us remastered that I sure as shit know will be buying that shit day one. But wasn't that game just remastered? Yeah, for the PlayStation Four. I actually bought that bundle when I bought my PlayStation Four. Why would they remake it? I don't because PlayStation get it. Five needs more games. <laughs> Because why spend dev resources on Risky Project when remake? I'm trying to quote Kevin from The Office where he's like, why use many words when few words will do? (laughs) It's the same concept, but it's like, you know, if you consider like opportunity cost time, they're thinking, hey, you know, why? Why should we bother? spending money on a risky project when we could just as easily especially if this comes out during the debut of the the television series when we could just you know remake this or remaster or whatever this this ip and then sell it and 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 make a larger return that is a good point with the television or the you know the netflix series coming out um they're gonna definitely want to try to rope in as as many people with that too so to quote Jay Bauman from Red Letter Media, don't ask questions, just consume product and then get excited for next products. <laughs> they, um, I mean, I'm not trying to say that, that that's a, a, you know, necessarily a good decision. That's just 
that's the way I, I see them justifying it. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely, like, you know, just have kind of stated that they're just focusing on just the big blockbuster type things that they've been doing and aren't really going to be taking risks or looking at indie stuff or... I don't know. That's that's kind of what makes the Kojima and, and Microsoft switch-up rumor like actually substantial because if you look at Death Stranding and how risky of a thing that was and how it didn't, you know... At least on on PS4, I know on uh, on PC it did some pretty good numbers, and it'll probably continue to sell. But um... yeah, apparently it made like twenty million dollars in in twenty twenty or something just on PC alone. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much of that was. Oh fuck, this game is predicted the future. Let me see what this is about. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but you make a you make an interesting point particularly about like Death Stranding, because my. And I'm not going to say this is the experience for everybody else, but my personal history with Sony, my unique experiences with Sony were when I was playing like those kind of weird games like like Vib Ribbon, Jumping Flash, Amplitude, things like that. So I almost feel like a little disappointed if this is actually the direction they're going, because it. I that that is what I define as like my Sony experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I think about like the big AAA games that came out last year and the year before, and I'm like, did I have that great of a time with those? Really, like they're you know they were well produced and looked great. Sure, they're pretty, but I, I don't know. I, was, I just I tend to have more fun with you know the indie weird quirky experiences. So, and it seems like you know going back to Microsoft facilitating more creative endeavors it seems like that's that's something that they are trying to do with the game pass um where they're they're allowed to take more risk by having a a more a more sustainable um model for developers it builds a lot of good faith with the consumer too and i know that good faith isn't really something that helps your bottom line but when you compare what Microsoft is doing with Xbox Game Pass and backwards compatibility and this, you know, having access to this huge library of all of these old games. And you compare that to, you know, look at Sony right now and their CEO says things like, you know, backwards compatibility isn't something that's requested. And, or no, what did he say? Um, when their like, CEO who wants says, to play old games or some shit like that. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, oh, the quote was like, he was at a Gran Turismo event where they had PS1, PS2, PS3, and PS4 games. And the PS1 and PS2 games, they looked ancient. Like, why would anybody play this? And then he says, like, you know, they've dabbled in backwards compatibility and they can say it's one of those features that is much requested but not actually used. Okay, let's say you're right. You probably are right. It probably isn't used all that much. But it's a middle finger to the customers who do care about that. And whether or not it helps your bottom line, that is something that's going to build good faith for your brand. And that's not something Sony's doing a lot of good with right now. Microsoft is. I know. Might have a little switch up here. Yeah. It's interesting how we the perception of both companies and their respective consoles has changed over time. I remember, you know, in the... In the original, like, I, I can't quite remember what how they were characterized during, like, PlayStation 2, Xbox generation. But I distinctly remember, like, PlayStation 3, 600 bucks being sort of a meme. 
PS3 has oh, no it games. Was. Whereas, yeah, like, that's why I didn't get it launch. <laughs> <laughs> there's fucking like Chad Warren or whatever. Uh, and then, you know, Xbox was like where everybody was at. And then, like, it turned around with PlayStation 4 and, and, and Xbox, uh, fuck, Xbox One, I think it was. First of all, they made fun of the names. <laughs> and then I remember, uh, God, I can't remember this guy's name, but now he works at like King Games or something like that or PopCap or some shit like that. But he said something like, you know, when somebody asks, you know, why, what if, you know, Xbox One is always online? What if somebody doesn't have a reliable Internet connection? And he said, well, those people can buy an Xbox 360. And it sort of fits <laughs> with that same like alienation, right? Where yeah. you're a loyal consumer and they you feel like they just gave you the middle finger. Uh so it's funny to see how, you know, which one audiences label as like the pro consumer over time as, as things change. They do seem to kind of flip flop a bit, don't they? A little bit. And I think part of that is because and this is just my experience owning a Wii U, but I think part of it is because um, you know, when these when these companies have sort of a downturn they do have to incentivize you know customer programs to get people back on board um one thing i can think of is like uh you know playstation plus i I remember that sort of being the start of like sony's good graces with the playstation 3 you know apart from you know obviously getting a more robust library and going back to the wii u example i remember i owned a wii u just for mario kart but they would give out so many games and incentives to buy stuff just because the Wii U was doing so bad. Like, I remember, I think I actually remember when I got Mario Kart, they gave you like another game you could buy or something like that. So, yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. So it's. I think it's I think there is, you know, somewhat of a cycle there. I think you're right. I will say as a Wii U owner, you should never feel ashamed for owning a Wii U because that was a fun system. Oh, yeah. I feel like I was a beta tester for the Switch, and I'm I'm proud of it, weirdly enough. <laughs> <laughs> you just need to port Wind Waker HD now. Nah, man, we need Skyward Sword. Ugh, no. Oh, that's on the way. It'll fix the controls. The MGS4 of Zelda games. How dare you. <laughs> oh, God, here we go again. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> <sighs> Anyway, y'all want to talk about Resident Evil? Son of a bitch.